It seems that writing has always been her passion. She wrote and developed a special love for plays during her youth. Then she evolved into journalism and writing articles, which became a career for some time. Then later still, when her children were little, she began writing stories for them, telling them stories every night and found that it was a very giving exercise in creativity. Isabel Allende has written books which have sold for more than 77 million copies and has been called the world's most widely read Spanish language author. Though this might be a dizzying number and one could perhaps be discouraged to hope for anything close to her success as an aspiring writer, remember, Isabel too had to start with that first book. Welcome to House of Words, a podcast about writers, family, and spirits. I'm your host, Jason Moore Harden, and today we explore Isabel Allende and her debut novel, The House of the Spirits. where there is no good and evil. It's not a world of black and white as the real world seems to be. There are no rigid rules of any kind. Everything just is in a sort of very steady and still way. And because things are so ambiguous in that sense, so delicate and so unfocused, it's a safe place. You don't have to decide anything. Things just are and you somehow float or I don't know how to express this exactly. You are just there in a very, very delicate form. For me, it's a very safe place. That's the place where the stories come from. That's the place of love." End quote. Isabel Allende was born in Lima, Peru on August 2, 1942 as the daughter of Chilean diplomat Thomas Allende and Francisca Yona Barros Allende. In 1945, when she was just three years old, her parents divorced. Now, despite her father's severing contact with both her and her mother, she remained close with his side of the family, including her second cousin and godfather, Salvador Allende Gossens, whom her family affectionately referred to as uncle. And with her father being absent, she was raised by her mother in the home of her maternal grandparents in Santiago. During her childhood and teenage years, the family moved around quite a bit, residing in Bolivia, Europe, and then Lebanon after her mother remarried the diplomat Ramon Widro. Belonging to what she refers to as the first generation of Latin American writers brought up reading other Latin American writers, her biggest influences were Gabriel García Márquez, Mario Vargas Llosa, and Jorge Luis Borges, among others. Ironically enough, during the time she was actually getting interested in literature, it was very difficult to find books by Latin American writers as they were not so well distributed. As a result of this shortage, many other influences outside the Latin American community reached her. Among these were Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Chekhov, Jane Austen, the Bronte sisters, Charles Dickens, Oscar Wilde, and Virginia Woolf. 
Being a lover of mysteries, she read all she could find by Agatha Christie and Arthur Conan Doyle. Now, American authors whose books were translated to Spanish and were quite popular during this time included Mark Twain, Jack London, and F. Scott Fitzgerald, all of whom made an impression on Isabel. Moreover, one book that made a particular impact was To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, a book that she has reread several times during her life. As a side note, we here at House of Words have made episodes on Virginia Woolf, Agatha Christie, and Harper Lee. Check them out. Now, back to Isabel. In 1962, she married Miguel Frias. Their daughter Paula was born the following year, followed by their son Nicholas three years later. Although not a major figure in her life, considering she would only see Uncle Salvador on weekends and the occasional vacation, he would nevertheless leave a strong legacy for her to live up to, given that after three failed presidential campaigns, he became the president of Chile in 1970. Uncle would unfortunately be one of the several thousands of people who died during the Pinochet dictatorship, which lasted from 1973 until 1990. Outside of Chile, she would often be asked if she was related to the fallen president, Allende, who by then had become a legendary figure and a hero. Acknowledging the family ties, she felt it important to live up to her surname. After a successful career as a journalist, on the 8th of January, 1981, she received a call that would change her life and her literary career. Living in Venezuela at the time, she received the unfortunate news that her beloved grandfather was dying, which prompted her to start writing a letter to him. This letter would considerably expand, ultimately growing into her debut novel, The House of the Spirits. She felt it was a lucky book from the very beginning and therefore kept the start date as the day she would start on a new novel, but more on that later. In those days before she gained fame as a writer, her day-to-day -day would consist of waking up at 6 a.m. and going through the regular steps of work and chores. Now, the day-to-day -day life didn't require much concentration. Thus, she would allow her mind to wander into other spheres during the day. After the day-to-day -day routine, she would shower and eat with her children. Then, she would tuck the kids into bed around 9 p.m., and from there, she would lock herself in the room and get down to writing. And from 9 p.m. to somewhere between 11 p.m. and midnight, or whenever she felt too tired, Click, clack, click, clack, went the typewriter. Although she more often than not felt physically exhausted by the time she sat down to write, she mustered up the energy and excitement at the prospect of creating. This opportunity to create prompted her forward. Not limiting herself to any structure at first, nor having a scheme in mind, she noticed halfway through the novel that some of her characters did not age. If she were to proceed in this manner, time wouldn't follow those characters. Well, needless to say, this was something that needed to be remedied. So she went back to the hypothetical drawing board and opened up a file for each principal character and wrote each of their lives independently before intertwining them. And despite there being no dates in the novel, 
Isabel knew in which year each event occurred and how old the characters would be, thus how they would think and act. On a technical level, she wrote the book on a typewriter, but this was after extensive notes. She wrote and vigorously corrected each page until it felt how she intended. This proved to be a long process given that by her estimates, she rewrote the whole novel roughly four times all in all. In particular, the portion that proved to be a challenge was the monologue in which Esteban Trueba asks the prostitute to save his niece. She found it impossible to put herself in the place of a man who was so stubborn, so proud, and powerful. She couldn't resolve it and therefore tried to tell it from the prostitute's point of view, also giving it a go with an omniscient narrator. Additionally, the amount of different versions also made it difficult to keep it all in order as she confused which was written first and which was created later. She destroyed things she considered superfluous, only to later discover that she had torn up pages that could have helped her later on, or that contained versions she was quite sure had been written better. The fact that her typewriter didn't have correcting tape also didn't make the task at hand any easier. In the end, it took precisely one year for the completion of the book, precisely the allotted time she had given herself, which was January 8, 1981, to January 8th, 1982. The only people in her life who were aware that she was even writing a book were her children and her husband. She would tell her children if she was particularly happy one day because she had written something she considered to be good. She would also express her mood if she was upset and frustrated because she deemed her material good for nothing. Despite seeing these mood changes from day to day, the family had no idea what the book was about, only that she was writing something very important to her. In hindsight, she was happy about having set a final date for the completion of the book, given that while writing it, she was so fascinated with it that she felt the writing could have gone on for an eternity. Before the publication, the only person to read the book was her mother, the only opinion that mattered to Isabel. Dear old mom. March 1982, the final, final version was completed and sent to Latin American publishers. However, no one wanted it. She then wrote to literary agent Carmen Barcells, who took a month to reply telling Allende that she wanted to be her agent. Despite having an agent to help her, the novel was repeatedly rejected by several Spanish-language publishers until finally... One accepted it. The book was published in October 1982. It became an instant bestseller, critically acclaimed, and catapulted Isabel Allende to literary stardom. The book was named Best Novel of the Year in Chile in 1982. Furthermore, she was awarded the country's Panorama Literario Award. When starting a story, she finds herself in total limbo, most of the time not having any idea where the story is going, what is going to happen, or why she is even writing it. But what does exist is a connection to the story she's chosen, even if the exact reason is undisclosed, even for her at the time. 
She knows that the comprehension regarding why she has chosen any precise story will make itself apparent during the writing of it and will most likely have something that was important to her in the past or connecting to something that she will find important in the future. She has stated that though there is an intellectual process to writing, there is a deeper and more magical element to her storytelling. Like many other authors before and after her have stated, writing allows you to tap into what seems to be another world. Later in her career, she's had the luxury of spending 10 to 12 hours per day devoted completely to the writing at hand. She doesn't answer the phone, nor does she talk to anyone. Like a medium or an instrument, she attempts to let the voices that talk pass through her and spill onto the page. In that sense, she doesn't feel like she is inventing anything, rather discovering things that already exist in an alternative dimension. All the stories are already there. It's just the writer's job to find them and bring them onto the page. She also finds that the solitude of being a writer works as a strength when it comes to connecting with that other world. She speculates that when you spend as many hours a day alone as a writer does, it allows you to see through the veil. Like people who pray or meditate for hours or who spend a lot of time alone in a convent or any other quiet place, end up hearing voices and seeing visions, she theorizes that the solitude and silence create the basis for that awareness needed to write on a deeper and more spiritual level. Being open to all the mysteries of life is a defining key. Sometimes when she writes something, convinced that it's coming from her imagination, Months or even years later, she discovers that it was linked to something that was actually true. Always scared when this happens, at times she has wondered if any of it happens because she has written it. Like a manifestation of reality through words put on a screen or on a piece of paper. Her mother, however, does a good job of dragging her back onto firmer ground. No, her mother would say. They don't happen because you write them. You don't have that power. Don't be so arrogant. What happens is that you are able to see them and other people are not because they don't have the time, because they are busy in the noise of the world. Wow, Mom. Thanks, I guess. Nevertheless, Allende also adds that the story only becomes whole when the reader reads it and becomes a part of the writing by infusing his or her own experiences into it, creating a reflection of what she has written. And concerning the development of the characters, she usually tries to find a real-life person who can serve as a model, and by using someone real but naturally adding or removing certain traits, she is able to create believable characters. She has said in an interview that people are complex and complicated and that they seldom show all the aspects of their personalities and that characters should be the same way. And once she has a character established in her mind, she likes to let them run somewhat free over the landscape of the book, allowing them to live their own life. As a consequence, she often feels that she doesn't control them, in particular when they take the story in unexpected directions. Then again, she does try to hold true to the thought that her job is to write down the story, not to force her ideas to the forefront. Quote, I'm not conscious of what I'm writing. It's a strange process, as if by this lying in fiction you discover little things that are true about yourself, about life, about people, 
about how the world works. End quote. Just where does Isabel get her ideas from? Well, the simple answer to that is by being a good listener and a story hunter. Everyone has a story, and all stories are interesting if they are told in the right tone, she finds. Additionally, she is constantly taking notes. In a notebook kept at hand at all times, she jots down when seeing or hearing something interesting. She cuts clippings from newspapers and writes notes about the news she hears on TV. The right small story buried deep within a newspaper can help inspire a whole novel. So when it's time to start on a new story, she pulls out all these notes and sees which one captures her attention. Now, about the aforementioned power she finds in the 8th of January. From the moment she began to write that first novel, The House of Spirits, it has remained to be a sacred day for her. Walking into her office very early on the morning of the 8th, she lights some candles for the spirits and the muses. She makes sure to always have fresh flowers and incense and meditates for a while, opening herself completely to the experience that is about to begin at that moment. Never knowing exactly what she's going to write, but knowing that the writing will commence. Now, there have been instances whereby she has been planning something in her mind for some time, but the moment she sits down by that computer to write, a completely different story emerges. Now, concerning this, she says, It's as if I was pregnant with something, an elephant's pregnancy, something that has been there for a very long time, growing, and then when I am able to relax completely and open myself to the writing, then the real book comes out. Now she tries to write the first sentence in a state of trance, as if somebody else is writing through her, because she considers that first sentence crucial to the novel, determining the shape of all that is to come following it. Neither is she the kind of writer who can have an outline to follow or talk about the writing to anyone or even go back and read parts of her writing during the process. Rather, as she writes, slowly, word by word, the story seems to unfold itself irrespective of her. It just happens. Until the first draft is ready, a first draft that usually is very long and can take months to get down. She isn't sure what the book is actually about. Until then, she just sits down every day and pours out the story. And when she has completed the first draft, she prints it out and reads it for the very first time. After that first read-through, then she knows what the story is about and starts the process of eliminating everything that has nothing to do with it. And like that, slowly, spiritually, and disciplined. A full novel emerges in the span between two January 8ths. As usual, let's end this episode with a quote from the otherworldly writer. Give, give, give. What is the point of having experience, knowledge, or talent if I don't give it away? Of having stories if I don't tell them to others? Of having wealth if I don't share it? I don't intend to be cremated with any of it. It is in giving that I connect with others, with the world, and with the divine. End quote. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. 
Once again, I have been your host, Jason Moore Harden. We here at House of Words ask that you please consider helping to make this show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash houseofwords or paypal.me slash houseofwordspodcast. Alternatively, you can subscribe and encourage others to subscribe to our YouTube page, House of Words Podcast. Every little bit helps more than you might think. Until next time. Keep turning those pages. House of Words is written and produced by Crystal M. Sanchez. Narrated and written by me, Jason Nemoore Harden. And music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Crystal M. Sanchez and Jason Nemoore Harden. 